2: And welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. As we are working our way now into June as well, it is DJ joined as always by my co host Kelsey as well. Today, we're we have a bit of a fun episode, I think, is what we're going to say as well. too. we're going to take a little bit of a little bit of a veer from the series sports talk and dabble into a little bit of how do I want to describe this? Uh, tag team fun is that how we want to describe it?
1: I don't think that's the right appropriate term, (laughs) maybe for that one, but uh. Look, I'm it's, it's,
2: it's, you go all the way around into the gutter there, good sir.
1: I, I, yeah, I wasn't very far from the gutter. There was no going around the world to get to the gutter on that one. It was, uh, We it were was going down short. the
2: porch, and you reverted back and did a backflip. All
1: right, whatever. If you say so. <laughs> all I know is it is Best Friends Day, so we're going to have a whole lot of fun and talk about some of the best duos in the game. And not just in the game, but in sports movies as well. So, yes, that does open up the possibility of Bugs and Daffy. Making an appearance on this list, although I didn't pick Bugs and Daffy, so I was just throwing it out there. There's a possibility, though.
2: You gotta have a little bit more game to make this list than that, as much too, as well. So you can't be you can't let you can't be one two guys that are just riding the coattails of somebody else at that point too. Like you gotta have a little bit more game to make the list, just a
1: little bit. I mean, look, if Lola Bunny had had a better friend on any of the shows, on any of the Space Jam movies, I would have picked her and somebody else because she obviously had the best game of any of the cartoons. But I can't pick her.
2: So, unfortunately, the bar was set that low. That's kind of why she was able to have such a good game. Nobody else really wanted to hit a shot. But but I I digress. They were all three and D guys. They just didn't really hit the threes either. So, you know, they were mostly defenders at that point. So before we can go, we'll go on to this topic for a very, very long time. We're only talking about the original Space Jam. We haven't gotten to the second one. So to avoid going off into that topic as well, too, we're going to go and slide on into our opening segment known perfectly as the tip off. The tip off. Of course, brought to you by Dr. Squatch. Smell like a man, feel like a champion. Go ahead and click the link in our bio. Head on over there and uh, get yourself some soap for that special someone in your life as well, too. And Kelsey, I feel or like maybe you're your remiss- best friend
1: that smells bad. I mean, take your pick. I I wasn't going to at you this time, but okay. But anyway, the we're going to move. Really, guy? Really? Okay. You set it up. It was easy. I, I was mean, talking yeah, about your like, dog, but anything. All right, all right. Uh, both of our dogs, but okay. That's it. Dec- yeah, fair a dec- enough. Dec- but regardless, <laughs> now. Too much rain.
2: NBA Finals Game Three kicking off, well tipping off right here in the they just starting right now as we started going live on air as well too. Series tied one to one apiece, but I want to start with something kind of wild here. ESPN's BPI index, as far as like who they think is going to win this series, still after being tied one to one with the Warriors blowing them out Game Two, says the Celtics have an eighty six percent chance of winning. <laughs> on our last episode, we kind of posed that question in our roundtable with Casey and Antonio, kind of talking about the finals as well too. Even they both agreed the percentages were absolutely ridiculous and made no sense. What are your thoughts now when the Warriors have A had a big lead and choked it away in game one, and then game two had a big lead and ran away with it in game two? Like they've they've had two pretty dominant for the most part of the series, and now they're still a, they still have less than 20% chance to win, according to this.
1: I'm gonna look straight at what Antonio said and say somebody at ESPN has an agenda, and they are <laughs> trying so hard to make this a Warriors agenda at the end of the day like oh the Warriors overcome an 86% chance to to lose that in game two and now, now at this point in time these stats are just like we already knew they were made up like this just proves mm-hmm. like you are going full made up saber metric style made up um before sabermetrics actually caught on I should say but you're going way into left field on this one this is this is too much even for even for uh um colloquial organization like ESPN
2: What's also, kind of weird is when you give them that big of a percentage chance to win, even if the Celtics do win, which would be an incredibly good feat for them. Their first title since 2008, I believe it was as well. Too a fantastic, just rise to superstar in between this young team. You're taking away a little bit of the steam when you say that you're supposed to win by 85 percent. Like, you're t- like, well, you should have done that. It's like, well, how this team went seven games with Giannis in it and won in his house. They went seven games with the number one seeded Heat. They shut out Kyrie and Kevin Durant to get like. You're taking away that incredible run by saying they have an 88% chance or 85%, whatever percent chance it was to win over our most recent dynasty in the Golden State Wars, which arguably you say is still a dynasty, honestly. I mean, it took a little bit of a hiatus there, but it's still, find a better one in recent memory besides the Spurs, really. And even that's, considering how old we are, that's almost a decade ago now.
1: I mean, hey, these guys have been almost doing it for a decade. It feels like, exactly. I mean, like, they it
2: picked up where the last one left. That's how long it's
1: it, been. It's been incredible to watch what the Warriors did. But I think to your point, you're exactly right. I mean, they're also ignoring the fact that before January 1st of 2022, this team was not projected to ever even make it out of the first round of the playoffs, if they even made it to the playoffs.
2: Playing season.
1: Like, there was no guarantee for anything for this Celtics team. And then, you, you, I mean, you said it. Like, you have a great playoff run like this. And then you're like, oh, we have an 86% chance to win. No. Like, stop stop being a prisoner to the moment hmm. we're all prisoners to boston and new york teams the moment they become good or at least playing well it's like all of a sudden oh they're on un- they're, they're they're unbeatable it's impossible to beat them it's like no and it's not it's it's very easy you just have to actually play your game and and not let young kids dictate this the the tempo and i mean yeah i don't this is ah, I, I, look at espn has already been me and ESPN have its all, our own gripes. Let me just put it that way. And this just adds into the statistical griping I have with ESPN on another level. Uh, and, you know, we're going to
2: go in transition now as game three is underway as well, too. So by the time some of you see this, the game will already be over. But I didn't want to. So we're going to talk about things moving forward in the series as well, too. I'm going to start. I'm going to start with you on this one as well, too. What do you think is the key to the series for the Warriors going forward to take that two to one lead and, and be in the driver's seat throughout the series?
1: Oh, Draymond. I feel like Draymond is the, is the key in this one. I mean, it actually runs this entire series. And I don't mean necessarily how he performs defensively. We all know he's going to play well defensively. It's it's going to be more of can he run that point forward offense without getting out of control? Like he, we saw in game one, he, he just literally ran out of control in the second half for pretty much the entire second half and did not help their cause whatsoever. Um, obviously, you talk about Klay Thompson going missing in, in game two uh definitely needs to, to to find his shot again uh but curry stepped up jordan Poole obviously hit a few quite a few you know wonder shots uh, you should say and then talk about the half court shot as well it's like okay well that helps but really i do look at draymond as the key for the warriors and this one if they're gonna they're gonna pull this one out it's, it's gonna be focused around draymond running that point forward offense
2: absolutely and when he's when he's cooking when he's distributing slinging and dicing and flexing that's when they're at their best as well too it's when he's getting ejected or dribbling the ball off his foot because he's pressing a little too much is when he gets a little bit out of source. So I think when he's walking the line, he's good. It's when he's completely avoiding the line or front flipping over the line. That's when they end up being in trouble. So Draymond's got, if he's rope in on top, a few like 30 feet in the air as well too. They're in a really good spot for me. I'm going to look at the Warriors and you kind of mentioned, I'm going to go back to it. I think they got to find a way to get clay going in some way, shape or form. I think the way the Celtics play defense is really, really mitigated clay since they're so good at switching and staying on you and not giving you a lot of space. And Clay's never really been known as the take you off the dribble guy. He's like, he's the one dribble and shoot guy at most. He's the guy that just finds the space and hits it. And the Celtics aren't giving him any space. And that was pre injury, Clay. The last two years of injuries, Clay and still working his way back, he's not, doesn't have quite the same burst. He's still, he's still liable to get you 60 in a game six or 40 in a game six at any given moment as well, too. So that's not, not getting it twisted by any means as well, too. But he's not quite the same. I think they got to find a way to get 17 to 20 out of him on relatively decent shooting because Steph's been. Underratedly, really, really good. I know the second half of that game one he was a little rough, but game two he made every big shot they needed. He was in full control of the game. So if his running mate could just give you a little bit more, just a little bit, or if they could just get yeah. to a game six and you get game six, Clay, who liable to go Mike, Michael, or whatever however this how the song goes as well too.
1: Just get just get him into that game six moment as well too. And I think he'll, I think oh, he'll. Oh, I fun. didn't even. Man, now you got me thinking towards my duos. I didn't even think about the like Mike crew with Little Romeo and and. uh his, uh, and and the kid from Stuart Little.
2: Oh, oh you man, mean I... you
1: mean the baby versions of
2: Kawhi Leonard and Nick
1: Nurse? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think lo- about Kawhi lo- and Nick Nurse? Oh, what am I doing with my life? Oh god. Anyways, yeah. Don't, no, we don't have enough time on the
2: podcast to answer that question. But that for me, that's what I'm looking at with the Warriors is I want to see Clay be able to get going get them get get Clay going in an efficient manner.
1: Yeah, no, Clay is clay is the weirdest anomaly in 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 basketball today where he is still kind of that old school guy who predicates his game off of his mid-range shot starting to hit and then going from there and again he does this without dribbling the ball which still is fascinating to everybody in the world uh, that he can do it it's it's actually very fitting that he does it the way he does is it's basically that's like as as unselfish as possible but you know again it starts at the mid-range and works its way out and that's gonna be key is he can get that mid-range shot going and whether it be a turnaround mid-range or just a step-in mid-range shot, that's the the first step. Seeing that ball go in the net there, and then everything else for that kid flows flows like water, if you will.
2: Like water takes the shape it needs. But we would, we would be remiss not saying now we're going to look at the Celtics. What do you think is the key for the Celtics here moving forward to take control of this series?
1: Oh, I mean, I, I think the Celtics they did they've been playing their game, which is fine. Um, I do do worry a, bit, a little bit about Jalen Brown kind of disappearing. Uh, in game two there at the end and it was just kind of like where he he kind of draymond it in the game in, in game two if you will there's draymond you know cost i won't say cost but he definitely didn't help the cause of the warriors in game one Jalen green or Jalen brown definitely didn't ha- did not help the cause in in game two also marcus Smart between game one and game two kind of again same thing just a little a wall there uh need need to, need to need a little better performance from him uh jason tatum can't do it all It's <laughs> the biggest thing is like I know he wants to be Superman. I know he wants to be Kobe. But even Kobe had Derek Fisher. He had Pau Gasol. He had Shaq. He had Lamar Odom. Let's not forget how good Lamar Odom was during those times. Uh, you know he had talent around t- Trevor Ariza back in the day. I mean that Trevor Ariza That's was fa- fantastic. Like, so he does need help. You can't just let him do it by himself. He's going to try. He's going to keep trying. And that also is kind of a detriment. Like he needs to be. He needs to be accepting of the help. For Al Horford, for Marcus Smart, um, from these guys coming off the bench as
2: well. Absolutely, that that's the, definitely as well too. I'm gonna look at Robert Williams is my key for that one as well too. Because if we can give you thir- if you can get you like 30 to 35 minutes without like foul trouble and with health, well that's completely limits the Warriors because you're getting nothing in the paint if he is on the court whatsoever. You are free throw line and out, not three free throw yeah. line and in. Because and honestly, those three pointers might not be safe if he's coming on the pick and roll switch too. Like be careful pulling that thing quickly. He'll send it into the fourth row, but. I think he just eliminates so much of those easy buckets for the Warriors that can't go. Like, Andrew Wiggins isn't nullified, but he is severely mitigated when you erase the paint like that as well, too. Because Williams also covers so much space. So he could kind of flash to the corner if Draymond's chilling there, but still recover and contest Andrew Wiggins' attempt as well, too. He's not like Rudy Gobert could sometimes get stuck in the middle and he can't protect the rim because he's sitting on the three or vice versa. Robert Williams is quicker afoot, so he can do a little bit of both. And that makes Draymond... You got to hope Draymond's hitting outside shots at that point offensively. He's not hes no, not known to get points, but in general, this makes it even harder for him to get points. Steph, when he's struggling from the outside, he can't go in and do up and under flip and in his incredibly fancy ball handling layup package that makes no sense sometimes. So I think if they can get a good amount of minutes from Robert Williams, it's going to flip that just from health as well as like just not getting a foul trouble standpoint. That's going to change the game effectively. And it's going to give Al Horford a little bit of rest too because we kind of saw game one gives you 26, but... He's an old man now, so he takes he takes a little bit of time to get going. He's got to rev the engine. the lawnmower. You got to you got to pull it two or three times to get it going. Once it gets going, he's rolling. But he, it, sometimes you don't get a chance
1: to crank it a few times. You see what we saw yeah. in game two, where he is up, the,
2: the legs got a little bit heavy.
1: He definitely needs to let that engine warm up a little bit longer next time before before he starts playing. And you know, you mentioned Robert Williams swatting the ball in the game in, into row four. Look like in Boston, that's about row fifteen in San Francisco or wherever they're playing at now in the new Oracle Arena. That's about maybe to the backside of the bench <laughs> hmm. <laughs> with how fans those, how far those fans are and honestly that's another part of this aspect that we're not even thinking about this these golden state fans you know we're used to them being absolutely obnoxiously wild and i mean that in the best ways to some degree um when Steph before is COVID.
2: Free, they get as rowdy as anybody
1: but at the same time like this new this new arena i mean it's almost like a echo chamber like not even an echo chamber it's like an echo vacuum in there it's like everything just gets it doesn't resonate the same way. It almost feels like a like an empty stadium at some point in time. So if you're the if you're the Celtics, you really want to quiet that stadium down. And and the best way to do that, obviously, on top of just playing well, is is to also shut them down. But like it's an already quiet stadium. So you just gotta quiet down arena. So you gotta quiet down just a little bit more and you'll be fine.
2: Just a little bit more as well. So it's definitely a fun series. Game three underway right now at the time of this recording as well, too. So we definitely look forward to seeing how the rest of the series plays off. And as soon as we're done here, we're going to have to catch the back end of that as well, too. So but that'll do it for our tip-off segment as well. So now we're going to head into the one that Kelsey's definitely been waiting for as well. too. you can tell. He's, he's been itching to get to this one. We're going to head on over to the main event. The main event, of course, brought to you
0: by In The Clutch Apparel. Click the link in our bio, use code Sports. Get yourself a nice
2: little discount as well, too. Some fantastic sports-related gear and apparel. Don't want to miss out on that as well. And Kelsey, National Bet, it's Friends Day. We're in sports, we're talking sports. Let's talk some dynamic duos and best sports friends as well, too. So we each got ourselves a top 10 list as well, too. And you know what, Kelsey? I'm going to pass the baton to you as for I'm going to let you go ahead and kick us off because I think you got some pretty interesting ones.
1: So I do, and I'm gonna start it off. I'm actually gonna. I, this maybe breaks a rule. And I I don't know. I, I'm a rule be a breaker. Listener,
2: oh, you breaking a rules, So let's keep let's keep. But tradition. you know,
1: to be fair, they're sisters, and well, you grow up together, you compete together. You're gonna be friends and enemies at the same time. Uh, these 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 two have more than shown they are, they are friends. I'm starting with the goat of all goats when it comes to tennis, and maybe the second goat of tennis of all time. Uh, venus and serena williams or serena and venus as i have it written down there as on my best duo list i don't know where to put them uh let me just let's be clear like i don't we're not ranking these top 10 these are just our 10 picks um for for this like i said i missed nick nurse and choir earlier and i missed you know oh i'm sorry it was bow wow and uh, and and the kid from from Stuart little but uh from from like mike so you look but venus and serena I got to give them on my list and they got to be the first mention because if I don't mention them first, I would be remiss. Like they are just that fantastic of a duo um, and, and best friends at the same time. I mean, they root for each other. So that's that's the biggest thing.
2: And from the sports perspective, they clearly growing up, made each other better as well Too on top of it, too, like the rising clearly. like the rising tide <laughs> raises all ships. Well, these ships don't get too much higher than that as well. Too, they did a fantastic right. job along the way, as well as, as you mentioned, great friends, sisters, everything as well, too. And the two most prominent women's tennis players of all time, almost undoubtedly two, if not definitely in the top three. I don't know who else you put in there. I mean, like, definitely those yeah. two are right up there, though.
1: Yeah, definitely. You have Wozniaki. Obviously, her and Serena are, are very good friends as well. But honestly, it was like, they, I, I could have put Wozniaki in here, but at the same time, that's just betraying the entire Williams family. Um, mm-hmm. And look, if anybody watched anything about the about King Robert, that the movie, you know you don't betray that Williams family. So I, I stuck with the Williams here. You know uh,
2: that that's a that's a really good one as well too. I, I like that one. Kicking off with some siblings, and you know what? We may have some siblings on my list as well too. I mean, it might it might go a little bit of both ways. Oh, so
1: I didn't know. break a I didn't break a rule. All right,
2: we're good. All right, we're we're going for it. No, no, no. I mean, th- this time you didn't as well too. So I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and switch over to mine now as well too for my first one as well too. I'm gonna stick with the same theme. I'm gonna stick with some some relatives as well too. But I'm going to this from tennis to the sport of fisticuffs cuffs and MMA. I'm looking at Nick and Nate Diaz. The Stockton brothers themselves as well, too. They perfected the Stockton slap. The original Trash Talkers, so much so that they have not been in like title fights or top five caliber fights in eight years now, something like that. And they still have a cult following that is unmatched by anybody as well, too. And they were in each other's corners every time. They've been together since 15, 16, 17 years old training in the streets of Stockton, who anyone who's been there, you can know it's not exactly a walk in the park. It's You're definitely not walking comfortably in the park. Your head's on a swivel and like you're. Your, your fists are clenched at all times. It's not an easy walk. And the these two have been together since the beginning. Same gym, same team, on the climb, in each other's corners, just about every fight when they were allowed to as well. And even after every press conference, Nate Diaz shouts out Nick Diaz's Nick Diaz Army, a few explicits here or there that usually get beeped out if they're on ESPN, among other things. And to the point where on the, the famous Strikeforce Brawl, when one of their teammates got pushed by somebody else, both of them come running in and start throwing hands in a fight that they weren't even involved in as well, too. So give me Nick and Nate Diaz kind of in the same vein you had with Venus and Serena. It's like, they're brothers, but they're clearly, like, best friends to a, with each other as well, too.
1: Yeah, definitely. Look, I, I got to say this about Nick and Nate Diaz. They are so just... <sighs> Stocked and born and bred is the best way I can put this, <laughs> that I couldn't find a picture that is not either, A, explicit enough, or it non-explicit enough to put on our on the show, or B, clear enough because they weren't mm-hmm. walking away from the camera at all times for to to, to bring on and add an, an image to these. Uh, so we just want mm-hmm. no images with all of them because we couldn't find any of the Diaz brothers. They're the hardest mm-hmm. two in all of these pictures and all of these people to find a picture of.
2: Absolutely, as well too. So we both kicked off with a little bit of sibling
1: duos, but uh, Kelsey, who, who do you have next on your list of ten best duos? All right. So this one I'm going to I'm going to jump into, uh, you know, maybe an old school. I guess I guess a lot of people don't know about these. I don't know. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. It depends on how closely you follow baseball. If you know Adrian Beltran, you know, he doesn't get along with a whole lot of people. Uh, uh, one it's, person. It's a, he, it's a short list. Like You probably count it on your hands. Exactly. There are two. And mm-hmm. one of these people made this list. And it is because of just how much of a brother's mm-hmm. brotherly duo they have. Elvis Andres. Adrian Beltre. If you guys don't ever have, if you, like, if you have a, have a moment, go to YouTube and just look up Adrian Beltre, Elvis Andres, uh highlights. And literally, it's gonna be five minutes of them just poking fun at each other, hmm. like just pulling each other's shirt jerseys out, untucked, slapping each other on the head, just having a good time, being really best friends on the on the road. And in 100, you know, 181 games, 100, and however many they end up playing if they go to the playoffs, you, you need all that. You need the friend. You need the the camaraderie. And and they had that for many years and it was it was always fun to watch there's it was very few people that like i said adrian beltre ever was like cool with and that was always one and it's that's that's why i you know it was entertaining to watch
2: absolutely as well too and you you know what we we had siblings in our last segment these two kind of act like those like 10 11 year old brothers that would kind of that always kind of like pick on each other like flick each other in the ear pull the shirts little bars back and forth things like that like they had the same kind of vibe back and forth so I, i like this one it's a very underrated one it's like if you know you know. And then once yeah. you find out, it's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense now.
1: And if anybody's wondering who the other person I referenced about Adrian Beltre is, it's King Felix, Felix Hernandez. Those two, obviously, from their time uh, together as well.
2: Absolutely as well. So I'm going to go and jump into my next one. Mine's going to go to the gridiron for this one, and it's a underrated one because not many people know about it, but I'm looking at DJ Moore from the Carolina Panthers, the receiver, and Curtis Samuel, the former receiver of the Panthers, now with the Washington football team, Commanders, the Gryffindor, whatever they are at this point as well too, Ronald Weasley's team. And the reason I'm going with this one that's kind of underrated is they were both really, when they were both on the Panthers, they were really close. DJ Moore wore number 12, Curtis Samuel wore number 10. After Curtis Samuel left, was I think he was released and was signed with Washington, DJ Moore changes number to 2, which 12 minus 10 equals 2. And then there was a picture of them both in the hallway before a game. They used to like dab each other up before going out. DJ Moore did it on one side and Curtis Samuel did it on the other side. And they put the picture kind of next to each other as well, too. So I think that was something that was really interesting. They came into the league around the same time. In fact, it might have been the same draft class, if I'm not mistaken. And then just the, the little brother, the brotherly love they had going through, even through separate teams, still able to keep it strong as well. So it's a it's a more intriguing one. But just that picture alone and like that, that little, idea of maybe is that why dj Moore changes number to two well we will never know for sure but just little thing like that i think it's an underrated duo
1: yeah look that was i still think of the picture where dj is hugging emptiness uh mm-hmm. after that after the move and that's that, that picture like i tried so hard to find that picture so we can put it up mm-hmm. here and, and uh unable to find like a good image of it and one that we're allowed to put up here and
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah it's it was one of those ones that like you saw the picture and you're like man that like we all know football's a game and it's a business But that's one that hits a little deeper. Like that was just like, that one hit a a different level of like, oh man, that's that's gut wrenching. Yeah, exactly. Like
2: there's the it may be a business and everything like that, but the people and the relationships are a lot more than just that. Sometimes depending on depending on who it's depending, but sometimes they do go deeper than that. So we'll go ahead and move on to your third one now. Third on your list, and I think I think this is where you're about to start uh, cranking things up a little bit. I think you've been easy on us, but I think you have a little some some tricks up your sleeve.
1: I, you know, I, I maybe, maybe could, could go some, some different tricks here. I want to go with a very wholesome, lovable duo and, and one that maybe mo- most people, I hope you guys know about this. If you don't know about these two, we're missing out on life. And that is Tim Duncan mm-hmm. and the master class himself, Greg Popovich. Uh, the dynamic of all dynamic duos as far as coach player relations, friends together. I mean, this is, These two are as hilarious as they get when it comes to just old man dad vibes in Mm. in all the world. Like Greg Popovich might be a younger person at Soul than Tim Duncan is, but they both give you the same dad vibes at the end of the day. And let's not forget Tim Duncan still rocking the mid-90s, super baggy, everything clothes, and Greg Popovich telling him he needs to go get a a tailored suit eventually. And and Mm. Tim Duncan just like, nah, man. Like not even for not even for his own his own uh, induction into the, the Spurs Hall of Fame. He was like, nah, I'm good. Still rocking yeah, that, Tommy Bahama.
2: And he still shops at Old Navy. There's still been pictures of him hanging out in old navy as well, too. I don't know how <laughs> he finds <laughs> clothes that fit him in there, but they exist, I guess. He finds a way, or there's like a Tim Duncan section in that particular old Navy as well, too. But he is honestly, he acts about how Greg Popovich looks, and Greg Popovich acts about how Tim Duncan looks. Like you mentioned, they're the ultimate yin and yang as far as personality to age.
1: Yeah, no I love like I just love these two together. Like they just they they crack me up. They've always had a good relationship from the time they were players to uh time obviously Tim Duncan came in the league with Popovich as his coach and and now as as Duncan's retired and, and moved into potentially coaching, um they've continued their strong relationship and yeah, it's 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 one that I'm I'm interested to see where it goes. I think honestly these two could become like coach and assistant coach and it could be very hilarious for everybody. Absolutely. You know, I'm glad you said
2: hilarious. That's going to transition us perfectly into this next one, that because this one, when I was thinking, I was racking my brain. I was like, "What would be a good one for this?" I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is quite the fit." We're going to go to the Pacific Northwest, and we're going to talk Pete Carroll and Will Ferrell. Pete Carroll, obviously the head coaches the Seahawks, and Will Ferrell, Jackie Moon, and honestly, just Will Ferrell. That's all you need to know at this point. Their their relationship is interesting because it goes back to when Pete Carroll was at USC. Both USC guys, both. Will Ferrell's one of the top boosters is there too. One of the most famous alumni Pete Carroll, arguably the best coach in USC history as far as as far as football goes. And even to the point where even now as the coach of the Seahawks, Will Ferrell still, when they, when Pete Carroll wants to prank his team or mess around with them, he brings in Will Ferrell as well too. There was once Will Ferrell showed up and pretended to be Greg Olson in a virtual meeting as well too. Like the amount of different hijinks that he gets with him as well too. It's a, he was literally brought in as a player for the zoom call. It's, it's absolutely theirs. They had Will Ferrell kicking field goals into the audience and stuff like that too during one of during when he was a coach at USC. Like it's a very unlikely duo, but at the same time, it just makes so much sense as well too. Like honestly, if you set them next to each other, I can almost see them looking a little similar as well too at that point. So I, I like this one as Pete Carroll and Will Ferrell from a hilarity standpoint.
1: And you know, even though it's a it's a very funny kind of matchup, I gotta say they are really good friends because even after uh-huh. the Super Bowl, if we all we all know the Super Bowl. That I'm going to reference that is the Marshawn Lynch non-handoff. Uh, Will Ferrell was actually on a press tour and then gave like uh, gave time from his press tour to actually be like, no, look, you got to. It's in the the prisoner of the moment. It happens. It's a game. Don't like you can't be so hard on him. And it's like literally backing up his friend. Obviously, as if you guys don't know the story, Will Ferrell became a Seahawks fan once Pete Carroll became a, the head coach of the Seahawks. He betrayed his old team. Whoever it was doesn't matter anymore to become a Seahawks fan. So very, uh, it's a very lovable, interesting story between the two.
2: Absolutely. And you mentioned too, he's even, there's even ones about him defending the Seahawks after they lost that Super Bowl to fans of that team, like Mark Wahlberg as well, too. And just, and having, having them, having their back as well, too. So following his friend, even to another level of profession into and changing teams on it as well, too. So a, Fun, unlikely duo that you, most people don't really know about. It. And even that one still catches me off guard sometimes. Like, really? Pete Carroll and Will Ferrell, you know what? Okay, you know what? That's cool. I'm just, just going to let it happen, but I'm not going to let it slide.
1: Yeah, so obviously, I you know, I'm going to jump into mine now. And we we talk about some, some odd duos as well. Um, this one might be, I don't know. I feel like this is an odd duo. I don't know if it actually is, but it feels like an odd duo. I know they played together for a long time. I know they had great winning seasons together. But Derek Jeter and Jorge Posada, and it's only because Jorge Posada is such a, like, hobbit. Like, he literally just doesn't do anything within his life. And the next thing you know, he's he's making these these runway, like, red carpet appearances with Derek Jeter and Derek Jeter's family. Like, like it's like the Posada and his family and Jeter and his family are going out to dinner, and there's, like, all these paparazzi around. But, like, Jorge Posada does not pop up on paparazzi anywhere ever. And, you know, Derek Jeter, obviously, partial alone on the Mar- Marlins, now stepping away. He did hire Jorge Posada before the season started, before he stepped away to work with the Marlins as well. So these two have a long time stand, long-standing relationship came up in the exact same season together. Obviously to talk about one of the best runs of an, of an MLB franchise with those Yankees. And I mean, two perennial hall, like they are hall of famers, no doubt about it. And it, I mean, they're, they, they are best friends at the same time. So it is, it is a, definitely a duo that maybe is a little weird just because you don't ever see Posada, but whenever you see Posada, he's because he's with Jeter.
2: Pretty much. You, you can get Jeter without the Posada, but you can't get the Posada without the Jeter as well too. And you know, what? I don't blame him. I'd hang out with Derek Jeter too. Honestly, if you want to hang out with me, I would gladly want, I would gladly go down the red carpet with them. I'd stick out like a sore thumb, but that's a risk I'm willing to take just to hang out with Jeter and them as well too. So, you know, good on Posada as well. And I, I like this one. Those, that old Yankees dynasty you could kind of you could kind of see it a little bit on the field but it didn't quite stand out as much it was more like after that dynasty after their baseball cruises when it really started to pop off it's like oh yeah those now it makes a little bit more sense and then Mariano Rivera said like hey guys I I'm here if you want to include me too like
1: yeah. same <laughs> season same season everything if Mariano Rivera the only biggest thing is with with them Mo is literally in a class by himself down in the Caribbean just hanging out like hey guys I'm I'm not coming to New York. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> like You can come hang out with me. I just you can see why I don't want to leave, though. But like we're, we're yes. still friends. We can hang out. But you got to come to me. That That's like I own.
1: I own this entire island. I, I don't want to leave. Like I just I'm just not going to.
2: Absolutely. So. And, you know, speaking of people who could own their entire island, one half of this next deal might be one of the ri- might be the richest man on both of these lists as well, too, as he is the owner of a mult of sports teams on top of. It. So I'm looking at it. The one that is a. A Courtship of Rivals, as it is labeled on the documentary. I'm looking at Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. It's very interesting because they literally started as rivals and I don't like that guy. Well, I don't like that guy. I want to beat that guy. I want to beat that guy. Then from that famous Converse commercial that they both started, from that point on, it was all history. They basically, even in the documentary, like, you know, I can't, Larry even said, you know, I kind of like Magic. I, didn't like, I, I met Irvin and I kind of liked him after that. And then Magic was saying how much he liked Larry after that and to the point where they were... Pretty much I don't want to say best friends because Larry Bird doesn't, Larry Bird doesn't have best friends, but he has really I guess that as close as
1: they can get at that
2: point Larry, as well too.
1: Unless you're a bottle of bush, I don't know if or sorry, a bottle of bud. It's it's mm. you're not you're not best friends with with Larry. It's
2: just an absolutely an interesting duo that they kind of formed to the point where Magic even convinced Larry to join the dream team, and Larry's like, No, I'm just trying to get through the season with my back without my back. Well, and Magic's like, you just have to be there. Just sit in the corner, I'll get you the ball. He's like, fine you'll he managed to convince a nearly decrepit spine to Larry bird who was on his last leg to come and join that dream team as well to which they no one knew how that was going to turn out they didn't realize what it was going to turn into and so the fact that magic johnson was able to convince him to do that when no one convinces Larry bird to do anything and the fact that they had such a strong back and forth even to this day every they still have such a strong rapport as well so a rocky start if you will that turned into quite the dynamic duo and I want to see see Magic hire Larry Bird in some some sort of capacity. Like if he gets a basketball team, maybe it's like that GM player personnel because Larry had a pretty good – he did a pretty good run with the Pacers as well too as far as like the GM player personnel and scouting that type of thing. He's got a pretty good eye, so maybe they find a way to team up again
1: here before long. That
2: could be very interesting.
1: Hear me out. Pat Riley, Phil Jackson, Magic, and Larry Bird somehow working together on the same team.
2: Either that's going to be the greatest team of all time, or there's going to be an absolute mayhem of chaos in the back, in the back end of things that I would
1: love to be a fly on the wall for. There will be punches thrown only between the front office, never between any of the players.
2: And that's because they only won 60 games. It's like, well, the team's doing great. We should have won 70. And then they'll, they'll turn into a fist of as well. But that's the rivalry turned into dynamic duo friendships. And we're not even going to get into all of what they did for basketball together as well to what they did for sports, what they did for, just that entire you can go look at the documentary everyone at this point knows about magic and larry and so this one's a very fun fun duo that enca- encapsulates more than just sports as well to and brasport really helped bring
1: sports where they are today absolutely so you know you mentioned Fisticuffs. Hmm. uh this ri- this this duo actually kind of went the reverse of of magic larry for at least for a good 6 month period uh and if you guys don't know anything about world soccer you might not understand this these twos love together as friends. Uh, but Cristiano Ronaldo, Wayne Rooney played together for Man United. In the 2006 World Cup, however, they played against each other. Obviously, Ronaldo for Portugal, Rooney for England. Ronaldo draws a penalty on Wayne Rooney. Or draws a foul on Wayne Rooney. He then goes and scores the doing penalty. And uh, in between all of that, Ronaldo clearly flopped. I mean, it was a very clear flop. This was before replay, before VAR. He looks he stands up, looks at Rooney and winks at him in the camera and Rooney's just like like giggling. Like, you know, like like oh man, I I knew he did it, like of course. This guy. You know, and uh yeah, let's just say England didn't enjoy that as much as Wayne Rooney enjoyed that little moment hmm. between him and Ronaldo and uh, people like, I mean, there was boycotts. There were like, get him out of England type of situations with, with Ronaldo. And uh, it was, it was, it's a it tumultuous six months following that man. United ended up going on and winning a championship the next year. So it didn't really matter, but like, it just tells you these two, this, this, two these two friendship literally battled two countries, hating on the other guy to become, to still remain best friends. And even today, I mean, they still, their sons still play, play, play uh soccer together. And they, you know, still get together every year and in, in my, I think honestly Miami they, they usually get together in and have a good time with Rooney now being a coach Ronaldo still being a being a player it is a, a very fun situation that that kind of like molded their friendship to even stronger bonds
2: absolutely as well too that that's that's a really good one as well and one that kind of as you mentioned goes into international as well too it crosses yeah. over country borders on top of it a lot of us have been pretty domestic but that one oh uh, that that would cross that crosses some border lines as well too on top of it Wars have been fought for less. Let's just be completely honest. Absolutely as well too. So the next one I'm gonna kind of turn to here is a very, very, very old school one. We're going way back in the day. One that was a real life friendship as well as a movie related friendship as well. Too, I'm looking at Gail Sayers and Brian Piccolo, two two players that played with the Bears as well. Too, and that you know, if you've seen the movie about them, you kind you kind of know know about as well, too. Gail Sayers and kind of his struggles along with and Brian Piccolo being there for him as well, too. And it's funny as they started off as not too great either as well too. Piccolo saying things along the lines. What if an arrogant son of a gun when talking about Gail Sayers as well like that as well. They weren't exactly the best of friends to start, but they got really close during their time with the Bears. Fun fact, they're the first interracial roommates in NFL history as well, too. So a little fun fact to throw that on top of it as well, too. I just learned that the other day as well. But then just the absolutely fantastic friendship as well, too, that they had him. The fact that they made a song, the movie, Brian's song about it, at the center of it as well too, that kind of talks about it as well. So when I look at that one, just absolutely fantastic. Gail Sayers beat this by the side of Brian pickle the whole way as well too. is absolutely fantastic. It was an absolutely fantastic story between two friends that span beyond sports, span just it into life in general as well too. Like they'd be, we made best duos outside of sports, just best duos in history that people know of. They'd be on the list. Then when you factor in sports in it, it's a no-brainer as well.
1: Oh yeah, no. I, I you know, uh, this is one that I was glad to see on your list because I was like, I don't know how to. I, I didn't, I didn't want to bring it up because I, I just personally felt like I was like, I'm. There's so much behind the the this Brian song and and obviously their relationship. It was like it was a heavy duo, like it's such a heavyweight duo. Honestly, it's so you had your own list. I was like, all right, cool. I'm not putting it on my list again because <laughs> we we were good talking about it once. I don't want to talk about it twice type of situation. Um, but honestly, yeah, this is gonna be on. I feel like if you've ever seen the story, you've heard the story, you, you know, especially knowing, especially you know, that they added history to it—that they are the first interracial roommates in, in NFL history—you add that special little caveat in there, and that makes it even more historical and and more meaningful. Um, and so, yeah, it's was, uh, this, is, fact- this is this is good. Oh, good.
2: I was saying the fact they played the same position—they were such best friends, too. like they were in the same, like they were competing for the spot, same spot on the field, both as running backs, and so they were always going head to head as well. They were still those type of best friends like the There's no animosity or jealousy that you could come to sometimes see like there's always the talk of like, oh, he's a great like this quarterback's a great mentor for the young guy, all that sort of thing. Then in the back of that guy's head, you know, he's thinking, you son of a gun, I'm not going to help you at all whatsoever. <laughs> in fact, these two guys were two best friends while competing for the same spot as well, too. And everything Gail was there for Brian the entire way. Brian, unfortunately, passing away at a young age as well, too, just everything that centered around that and what they encapsulated in the movie, which. Even from what I understand, too, from what they said, the movie didn't even do the best job of it, but the movie did a, it's still depicted it in such a positive manner. So I feel like we were going to actually rank them at numbers. This one would undoubtedly be closer to the top.
1: Oh, without, yeah, without a doubt. Um, okay. But I am glad that you actually brought this one up, though, like I said, because it does also introduce the other aspect of our list, which is the movie side of things. So I'm going to immediately jump right mm-hmm. into that one and take my opportunity and go with one of the more entertaining. Duos on this list.
0: I'm
1: gonna go with the Bash Brothers, the OGs themselves, Fulton Reed and Dean Conway. Uh, Dean Conway from Chicago, Illinois, by the way. Uh, just if you have never seen D3, when he walks in and reads off his scholarship, uh, but no, him and Fulton Reed, Fulton Reed from Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, smashing all sorts of things in the streets before he started playing for the Ducks. Uh, these two, honestly, it was the most entertaining parts of all, most of the Mighty Ducks series. Just is Fulton and and Dean getting together and becoming bash brothers in D in D two. And let's not forget Kenny Wu joining the bash brothers Mm -hmm. as the little tiny former figure skater, uh, in, in, in D two as well. And that was, you know, uh, this is just, it's, this is more entertainment value between these two because it was so fun seeing their, their relationship. And, and if you guys don't know who the actor who played Fulton Reed, he actually now plays the lawyer from daredevil, not, not Matthew Murdoch, not daredevil himself. He he plays his as best friend and partner growing up. Fulton Reed does. So fun fact for you. He now moved his way into a comic book noir as well as young sports movies as well.
2: Young sports movies, comic books. I'm surprised i surprised you waited this long. I figured this would be the one you were ready to get right out of the
1: gate as well. So this one's like right up your alley. I had to stick with the I had to stick with the main theme of it being sports related first. Hmm. Plus Venus and Serena. Nobody passes Venus and Serena Williams on a list. Let's be honest.
2: No one passes them as well, too. I'm just saying maybe you could jump ahead. That's all. But that's a, that's a really yeah. good one. An underrated one, too. I like it. I do have one more movie one, but I'm going to save that one for just a little bit later. Next, I'm going to jump into one of the more recent duos as well, too, the kind of took the duo world by storm as well, too, especially this last season for those that kind of caught the national eye. I'm going to take us to the city of Cincinnati that started in Louisiana, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We're looking at Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, mm-hmm. the two young superstars, that quarterback and receiver. And. Not just because of what they did last year, where Jamar Chase is a rookie, one of the best rookie seasons ever. Joe Burrow, his first full season, they go to the Super Bowl. Recreating incredible magic, the quarterback number one receiver dynamic that a lot of a lot of teams and players have to. Have. I mean, you could go down a list and quarterback and receivers say they're best friends. We can make a 30-page long duo of one second reason to make this list. What makes this one a little bit different is the fact that they did it in college. When Jamar was 19 and Joe Burrow was 23-24, they were still young spring chickens at the time. They go to the next level. They pick up right where they left off where Joe Burrow had his knee basically exploded. Jamar Chase took a year off because of co- took the year off because of the COVID situation. They'd not played together for two years at that point. and within their first game, they connect on a 50-yard fader out touchdown against the Vikings and go on to go on to that miraculous run. They even bought houses on the same block as each other. If I'm not mistaken, they were right next door. If not, they're with they're within walk, very easy walking distance as well. Yeah, even their dads are. You can see them on the sideline, but as basically best friends as well too. That's it's absolutely incredible how they've stayed close. And Jamar Chase is like 21 years old. He could barely buy alcohol, and they're, they're this and they're already these type of best friends. And it's only going to be even more so going forward.
1: Let's not forget Jamar Chase bought Joe Burrow a brand new plated grill before the super bowl this last year as well, uh, that he actually helped him find the Joe Burr, uh, Mm -hmm. the Burr Nike checkmark, uh, necklace that Joe Burrow wore as well. That's so, Mm -hmm. uh, look, DeMar Chase always keeping Joe Burrow swaggy. That's first of all. Secondly, these two on the field are just unstoppable as well. So, uh, I I do like that one as well. That's a very, very good choice because these two are, are going to be the next up and coming duos and I, I mean we're not just talking like friend duos we're talking like powerhouse duos for long term as well
2: sports duos human duos all of it and also probably expensive duos so since now you better start putting some bit some pennies in the piggy banks you're gonna have to pay both of them a whole lot of cheese coming up here as well too so definitely be ready
1: because you nope. can't get one without the other don't worry they have plenty of skyline cheese up there for the skyline chilies so uh, they got
2: we're not gonna talk about that now we're gonna move on to your list before we start before i start
1: gagging so who, who do we have next on your list now Ironically, we are staying in the state, uh, the city mm-hmm. of Cincinnati, uh, for my list, and that is a previous duo. Ironically, the quarterback wearing number nine, as mm-hmm. well in Cincinnati, and that is my Chad Johnson Carson Palmer duo. As you talk about the OGs in Cincinnati; these two are it. Chad Johnson. Let's not forget, welcomed in Joe Burrow, T Higgins, and Jamar Chase on the this new season when they released the New Jersey sets. He welcomed in to get their new jerseys. And look, it is uh, very fitting that Chad Johnson, Carson Palmer are on this list because I don't think there's two more different dudes in the history of the world. Carson Palmer literally lives in the woods in Montana. And Chad Johnson is from Miami, Florida. And I do mean Miami, Florida. And he is Dade County born and raised, whereas Carson is a, Mountain boy, to say the least. Um, hmm. Actually, I might even be wrong. I think it's actually, it actually is Idaho is where he actually lives, but it's right on the edge of Montana as well. But it's in the mountains. I mean, like, uh, it can't be any different. Like, Chad Johnson literally drove an RV up there to hang out with Carson Palmer, and he dressed in, like, full Woodsman gear and everything. Hmm. And it's not like, you know, they've lost touch with each other. They still keep it in touch, obviously. And and it is uh, – this is a duo that I just find really entertaining. And they were in, they were entertaining on the field, not just performing-wise, but just, like, Every time they were in an interview together, they were hilarious. And this one is just one that always sticks out in my mind is one of the OGs as far as a, a dynamic duo on the field goes.
2: It is funny that they were so dynamic and so friendly. Everything when they could they are such polar opposites, as you mentioned, like Chad Johnson slash Chad Ocho Cinco when he put the Ocho Cinco on his back, the river dancing, all of the the calling the coach to the middle of the night like hey coach, I'm open and then hanging up. And there's every the, every met he encompasses. And then Carson Palmer, who's about as serious as like he looks like a sheriff half the time too. He's yeah. pretty serious, pretty straightforward. I don't know if he is. I don't think he has ever told a joke in his life. And if he has, you couldn't tell by his mannerisms. Like they could not be more opposite. But together they did, it was the perfect yin yang yang matchup, both on the field and whenever they talked with each other too. So I, I I like this one a lot. I like how we kind of kept things almost very identical there as well too. Like yeah. two Cincinnati duos. Maybe one of maybe this one will be able to get them a little get them a little farther. The, maybe this one will be able to get that Super Bowl too.
1: Hey, it takes a new, it takes version 2.0 before you know to be to be to get more successful right yeah. I do think I do think to your point Carson Palmer and then there's like just adding in the difference between the two Carson Palmer USC Heisman Trophy winner Chad Johnson walk on Oregon State like, it's
2: like third fourth round pick if I'm not mistaken too
1: yeah like completely different polar opposite trajectories as well and then like that's just they, they made it themselves and Carson Palmer's only joke might have been hey TJ was open on that play not hmm. you. That might have been the only joke he's ever told in his life, and Chad did not take that
2: as a joke as well. No, that not, like that. not okay with that joke, not at all. As well, so next one moving up my list. Now I'm going to go back into the octagon as well. To I'm going to two guys that aren't actually related, but they might as well be at this point. I'm going to talk about Daniel Cormier and Cain Velasquez. The reason I'm going with these two is a) they're, they've been training since Daniel Cormier started his career. They brought he Cain brought him in to help with wrestling, and since then they've been interlocked at that point. DC literally left the division so he wouldn't have to fight Kane when he could have been arguably the best heavyweight ever. But he wanted to avoid ever having to fight his friend. So he, anyone who's seen Daniel Cormier, you know that that is a lot of weight he had to cut to get down to that 205-pound limit. That is, a, that, is a lot of, that is a lot of weight and a very short person. So that is hard to get <laughs> rid of. And he still did it to himself for basically his entire career until there was an opening and then he went up to heavyweight and was that absolutely sensational. And what was that?
1: He dominated to say the least.
2: Yeah. I mean, the only person he really struggled with was the greatest heavyweight ever in Steve, but beats everybody else as well too. Absolutely sensational. But anyway, the fact that they were there through it through it all, crying on shoulders after losses as well, too. Always traveling, coaching in the corner. DC literally leaving the announcing booth to go call, corner him and then coming back early in his career before he was made the full-time announcer switch. With everything Kane's going through off the field off the outside of the octagon in his own personal life right now as well, too. And DC is there to help him through that as well, too, and always support him, pushing the campaign, rightfully so, by the way, as with everything going on there as well. So, give me these two as kind of like the preeminent best friends coming from the Octagon, without the family tie on top, without the blood relativity on top of it.
1: You know, I, I like it. I, these two, I DC, but like this one. Yeah, well, look, okay, so me and DC have our own, you know, I, I yeah, he's he, like just he terrible at it, talking it's a crap. Yeah, it's like I, I he has nothing against me because he doesn't even know who I, I even am at this point in time. So uh, let's probably keep it that way because I don't want to go any time of type of time in the ring with him, no matter how old or fat he gets, I he will still kill me. Um and it does not matter. <laughs> he is still dominant, but it's like same time I'll still talk better crap than him every day of the week. So uh, you know what, that's say what you will. Um but no, I do love their story. this their story and their 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 positivity towards each other. I mean it is it does go to show you that the sport sometimes you know, earlier in the career, it does take precedence. But at the end of the day, if you choose to make your friends priority, it doesn't matter the sport. Like you can still succeed in your sport no matter what. And then DC is a perfect example of that. Dropping down, especially that weight cut, that is hell of a weight cut for him. And yeah, that's – it was an incredible story that he was so successful as he was. And then, by the way, oh, I'm going to be more successful when I step up, you know. God forbid.
2: But. Absolutely, as well too. So we're getting into the final stretch here as well too. We got. So I imagine you have some good ones you've been saving behind as well too. So I think you're about to dip into. The, you know, we we started the bag of tricks, and now I think you're breaking out the lucky charms.
1: I have I have one last sports one, and then we're going straight sports movies for the last two. Mm. Uh, this last sports one, I do have to kind of buddy up off of your D.C. Kane Velasquez, as far as like just being kind of brothers without being brothers, and that is Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. Uh, if you guys don't remember, way back in like mid-2000s when Blake Griffin was making his, sta- his stage on the USA camp, there was the under-19 USA team in the in the arena for it, filled with Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, by the way, Devin Booker, also part of that team, and also part of this best friend grouping as well. Um, these two end up going to Kentucky together, along with D-Book, end up having a fantastic time, end up doing well, and then getting drafted. Don't end up on the same teams, finally to get together in the Wolves, and it's like no no time has passed whatsoever. And never mind. So they did not go to Kentucky together, my bad. And I don't know where d ended up going. But, yeah, Ohio my brain ended up, yeah, there you go. Yep, he went to Ohio State, Carl Anthony Towns, and D-Book went to Kentucky. Uh, but, yeah, anyways, they – look, they had been best friends. They play video games together on Twitch all the time. And I don't – honestly, Cat is a lovable guy. I don't like watching him play basketball because, again, big guy should dominate down low, decides to play small guy small guy basketball. Whereas D'Angelo Russell, I love watching play because he is just—he's very dynamic, but he just doesn't trust himself enough at the end of the day, and that's why he doesn't. I mean, honestly, you don't see him perform as well as as you might expect. So, uh, I do think this the, these two as a duo work a lot better on the court as well, but off the court, I, they're just a fun-loving group. I mean, talk about two two honestly wholesome dudes. They are about as wholesome as it gets. They may not, you know, you see all the tattoos, you're like, ah, oh, I don't know, NBA players. Now they're legitimately like wholesome dudes
2: absolutely two fantastic the fact that they still play video games together as you mentioned as well too from time they were wee kids all the way through now playing on the same team kind of like when you're a kid that age that's all you kind of think about is playing professional sports with your friends it's like, you're like man how cool would this be or anytime you're playing in the backyard at the park it's like dude, this is exactly kind of what you dream of it's what dreams are made of from a young age as well too and you see how they've played arguably their best basketball together in their careers as well too, getting a, into a playoff series and taking it to the grizzlies giving them everything they can handle so This one, I think, is starting to translate onto the court, and I think it could be be better. If they can stick together, it could be the best thing in the long term for them, is Katz really hitting his prime. Still shoots a little too many threes, but at least he's hitting him at, like, a 42% clip. Uh, Yeah, like, like, at at least a little more. I can't can't complain. We could complain a little bit less, and then D'Angelo Russell starting to find that groove as that combo playmaking point guard as well, too. That's the ball handler that can also score. So I do. I really like this one as an underrated one as well, too. I'm going to go ahead and jump into mine one, and Mine's this one's on the on the football field, but it's kind of a different turn. Is where yours was kind of like young guys that are up and ascending. Mine's involving arguably two goats, depending on how you talk about it. We're gonna look at Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. And honestly, the only the only real explanation we need for this one is after the Super Bowl parade, where Gronkowski's is carrying a drunk Tom Brady off the avocado tequila and carrying him around when he's completely plastered. That's all we really need to know about that one. But the fact that he got Gronkowski to come out of retirement, come join him in Tampa Bay when the fact that they went everything they went through in new england they always vouching for each other nothing negative to say and then on the field arguably one of the best one two punches we've ever seen and a rarity is that a tight end was the number one target it, throughout history it's usually been the receiver not often the tight end in this case everything ran through Gronk really when he was healthy like he opened things up for everybody and you can tell I if you if Gronkowski doesn't go to Tampa Bay with Tom Brady, I don't know if they win that Super Bowl. There's some, there's a different level of comfort you saw in the Super Bowl. Gronkowski is running one eighth of the speed he usually runs, but he still gets just enough space for Tom Brady is going to test, it, is going to willing to try it and gets two touchdowns out of it. So I think there's just a lot of there's almost it feels like a telepathic how they get how they communicate with each other as well too. And on paper they seem like such polar opposites. Gronkowski party animal, Tom Brady the Basically, the GQ, the GQ model, stay-at-home dad, kind of nerdy little thing, which we've kind of learned now.
1: Tom Brady's got that other side to him as well, too. Especially hey, hey, the- that man danced at Carnival, and at that point in time, he can do whatever he wants. He, secondly, he bagged one of the most beautiful women in the world as well uh, at the peak of her career as a Victoria's Secret model.
2: Yeah, either way though, we'll, we'll stick with this one on the field, and I think at just the dynamic duo they bring on the field as well as off the field. I'm gonna give the I'm gonna give them one as like my top football related
1: no that's fair that's fair i can't i can't honestly disagree with you at all on, that, on any of that um but yeah look you talk about two goats uh, arguably two goats together on that that list uh, obviously as i said i'm getting into the movie realm so say what you will but these two mm-hmm. in the movie realm are kind of their own goats in their own way uh, i'm going to apollo creed and rocky Balboa, and their mm-hmm. their duo and friendship obviously led to the new creed movie cycle but I just love, I, I love what these two just kind of brought to the screen. You have Apollo Creed, Flash, Finesse, like, let me get in front of a camera and let me tell you how it's going to be. You have Rocky Balboa, ah, shucks, just a kid from Philadelphia running up the stairs and jumping up and down like a nerd type of situation. And then, like, yeah, it's it's about as as opposite as they get. And it's that, that wholesomeness as well. And it's also what leads to, you know, in the Creed series, that whole dynamic between young Creed and, and Rocky as a, as a, as a mentor, much like Apollo was a mentor to Rocky in the, in, at the end in, in those movies. And yeah, it's, I, I, you know, I, I have to put this one out there because it always just stands out in my mind. Like the, the fact they got together, like, you know, the, in the gym at the the last scene of the movie is them like, all right, I promised you, a, I promised you a fight. We're going to do it behind closed doors, no fandom, no nothing. And then it cuts right before you see anybody land a punch and it's like, Oh, I want to see that now. Like, I want that friendship to continue, but we don't get to see it continue very much longer. And then, yeah, it was it was, it was a fun friend, a front friendship that I just have to I throw on there because it was one that stands out from the movies.
2: Absolutely, and you know what? I a I want to I want to also say I want to know who won that fight. I know it's fictional. I know there was never actually a determined, but I still want to know. Damn it, someone tell me who actually won it as well. I need I need to know as well. I w- I hope they actually just did it and then see, and then one day we
1: somehow find out who it was because I'm just really. Curious. I mean, according to Creed Two. Apollo did win. Granted, his mom said uh, like Apollo's or uh, Creed's mom said otherwise, but Rocky said that Apollo won.
2: This is why I say six in one and half a dozen in the other. I just I need to know for sure. I don't need contradicting statements. I need an answer. I need to see it with my own two eyes. And then you just go fast forward to Rocky Four when Apollo Creed ends up dying in the ring from Drago. Rocky immediately, what does he do? Walks straight into the training. Goes it, goes to Siberia and begins training to to avenge his friend immediately. Like doesn't even have like a. Moment of pondering, not a moment of tears, just immediately they lock eyes, and then the next scene is training montage right into it. Does not waste a second getting back into it as well. So, this is as far as movies go, this one is definitely really high up there. And kind of wish we had more of it. I wish we could have like Rocky Four without Apollo dying. I want to see that, that that duo a little bit longer. And the, but I agree with you, this is a fantastic one as well. And I do have a movie one, but I have one non movie one I'm going to get to first. We're going to take this one to the court. This is one of probably the most famous duos in recent memories as well, too. We're heading down to South Beach and we're going to look at Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. This all started with, I'm taking my talents to South Beach. And from there, it was history as well, too. Like, we kind of know that story. Everything, that the banana boats, you could have thrown in Chris Paul Paul, Carmelo Anthony on this one. It could have broke the yeah. rules and made it to like a four, a four duo, whatever you wanted to do at that point. But just the back and forth these guys had, you could tell the French that they always are praising each other, did all their press conferences together to the point where we saw that picture of Dwayne Wade throwing it up without even looking, LeBron dunking it, one of those iconic pictures. It was literally to where when LeBron went back to Cleveland, they are struggling a little bit in that first season. LeBron takes a two week vacation in the middle of the season and goes to South beach to work out with my, without with Dwayne Wade in Miami. They literally was like, things are rough. I'm going to hang out with Dwayne. Then they turn the season around and make the finals later on in his Cleveland tenure. They bring in Dwayne Wade. They once again, find themselves together again, even, even though it didn't quite mesh, they, they always, they're going to be forever linked, whether they like it or not as well too, because Wade was partially, it was in part responsible for LeBron getting over that hump, getting those titles. Like, where LeBron is now is it because of Wade and where Wade stands all time is because of LeBron. They're forever linked there, whether they like it or not, they're going to be forever linked. It's almost kind of like Jordan and Scotty, just they don't hate each other anymore. And it's not, it does not quite the same venom that one has at this point as well too. And they are on more equal ground. So I think these two are forever going to be linked and I don't think they'd have it any other way.
1: Fair enough. No, I, you know, I, I do like these two. And again, I saw them on your list. So I wasn't, they were my, one of my first thoughts as well to put on the list, but, no, I mean, uh, like his, these two were fantastic together in Miami, and and everything off the court as well. You know, they're like they, they're so they're so friendly together. Their sons, they put their sons in the same high school in Sierra Canyon to try to make it work. Granted, Grant Zaire did not have a good time because of the head coach at Sierra Canyon, so he transferred out. But like they they tried to make everything, like they tried to co- like basically combine their families together as well. Hmm. So uh, my final one, though, I'm going to the OG coach player connection, the OG best friends. And that is Charlie Conway and Coach Bombay from the Mighty Ducks. Two Mighty Duck sightings on this list for me. No surprise if you know me um, as uh, well. One of my favorite movie series. Um, but Charlie Conway, obviously the perennial captain, Coach Bombay, the perennial douchebag coach. And look, come together. Look, let's not forget Bombay slept with Conway's mom, and yet they were still friends. Like he, Bombay helped Conway the entire way. And uh, Conway, obviously, following the footsteps of Bombay. And it led to now that you have the new Mighty Duck series. Bombay still coaching because of Charlie Conway, back in the day, still leaving him to coach. So, uh, fantastic series. I could have honestly put Coach Bombay and Hans, uh, the skate, the the skate sharpener and the the, the hockey owner, the hockey um, sales area like the hockey shop sales owner. Uh, but you know what? This one felt like a better combination.
2: You know, yeah, I like that one. It's a and honestly, I'm not even remotely surprised after it. Once you said I was at first like, really? Then I was like, Oh, wait, yeah, okay, hold on. This makes sense. Now it all it all it, it has that it has that double take from one, but it's a it's an absolute perfect fit. So we're on lower on time, jumping to my last one. Also in the movie realm, we're going with Gary Bertier and Julius Campbell from one of my favorite movies, Remember the Titans as well. Too they started off hating each other, both the two all American caliber players as well. Start they're forced to basically talk because of the coach. And they end up becoming best friends at the end of it, to where they literally fought best a war. Friends. Like they they led the they led the fight in that Virginia area, the the race war that's going on in the seventies. They fought that head on and were the two captains behind it, breaking up fights in the school. So this one speaks for itself. Everyone go watch, remember the Titans. It should be mandatory for every year K through twelve in the curriculum that kids must watch. Remember the Titans. That it should be curriculum required, and it's because yes.
1: of this too. Oh, look! I, if anybody Oops. know doesn't know by now. Uh, strong side, weak side. You don't, don't know what that means yet. Uh, look, Go watch this movie. You'll find it. Go watch
0: it
1: this, uh, Yeah, a star-studded movie, first of all. And for these two to really be the the the, the part you take away from it, Bertier and Julius Campbell, is tells you how strong of a story it was that they told. Like, yeah, I obviously, a lot of movies, they're not very, especially sports movies, not very story-based uh, movies. Remember, the Titans will forever be one of the best story-based movies in, in the world, whether it be sports or not. Uh, one of the best stories ever told. So
2: Absolutely. as we head into our last about a minute or so left, we're going to head into crunch time. Well, hold on. 15. No, no, no,
1: no. Because, like what always, I break more? rules. Because, like always, I break rules. I got one, one, one rule breaker, honorable mention for the best duos, us. That's just wow.
2: about I, we should be yeah first okay place to be god
1: online. like come on man like have a little love of this one like come on
2: well i mean the fact that we only made honorable mention i wanted to be first place so like that's the competitive well,
1: side I, we don't we're ranking anybody so like i can't i can't break that rule
2: we made it we made it honorable mentions well proud proud to have you as this as a part of the duo <laughs> as well too favorite co-host so you know what before we got to get into crunch time now as well too so for kelsey swift lifestyles last one if you could pick anyone in sports to be your your dynamic duo co-pilot who are you
1: picking Jason Kelsey. Nope. Mm. Yeah, Jason Kelsey.
2: You know, that's a perfect match. I'm going to go with Jarrett Allen because we are, I feel like we have a very similar personality center for the Cavaliers. And if nothing else, we could just play Pokemon together at that point as well, too. And we'd both be wearing just basic like jeans jeans and cheap cheap clothing as well, too. Granted, he's worth 150 million times more than I am. But at least we look similar as well, too. And he wouldn't make me feel too bad about it. So I'd go with Jarrett Allen. So.
1: Fair enough. All right. I respect mm-hmm. it. But that'll do it for us today, guys. Let us know what what didn't make our list. Uh, But as always, we appreciate you guys, and we will see you guys next time.